Back in 2022, we did an interview with Nairi Mansfield of Straight Flush about running and growing her business, the trials and tribulations she went through, and how Simpro helped her and her husband be successful through it all. Today, we're taking a look back at some of the highlights from that interview. Let's take a listen. Uh, all right, so Straight Flush has been around for 15 years now and just started off with uh, one man and a bunch of hope and a ute. And um, today we employ 28 staff in three locations. So a whole lot um, happened over that time. And uh, one, of the, one of the interesting things about how the business came about and how it's shaped who we've become is um, my husband and business partner, Jeremy, uh, came home one day and figured that he didn't actually have uh, anywhere to go in the business where he was working. So that was really what prompted us to um, go out on our own sort of thing and uh, it kind of all went from there. It was uh, pretty easy. I was working in banking at the time so I could do the numbers side of things mm-hmm. and we came up with the name and a bit of a tagline and away we went and um, that decision of go, why we went into business has definitely shaped who we've become today and what, what we offer our staff. Yeah, so you just mentioned there was a whole lot of hope in a year which essentially was the starting point. With Jeremy, what was his background? He obviously had been in the trades for a long time and then he was working in that same business and had that frank conversation with maybe his manager. Is that kind of how it started? Um, well, he he uh, had been qualified for a good 10 years at that point and we had shifted down from Auckland. So he had done about six years uh, with the company in Auckland and about another six with the company in Wellington that he was with. But he was in a multi-generational company, so it was quite clear uh, where that was going in terms of um, ownership and that sort of thing. So um, for him, it was it was quite obvious and you know the right thing. Um, but that was that was why we started him. And we look, we had no idea what we were doing. That's where that's where the hope comes from. Uh, we sort of learnt on the on the fly um, of, of how to get it going. Yeah. So you just mentioned then with the kind of not knowing where to going. What were the first five years like? It's obviously been a success, but what were some of those like lessons and learning points that come along with starting a new business? Um, I think probably the first five days were the scariest because no clients, um, no jobs, mm-hmm. and went down to the merchant that we were shopping with at the time and he sat in the showroom and started picking up work that way because we weren't from Wellington and so we didn't have all those family connections to um, call on. We had a few through my my work, but that was the scary part of being full on busy all the time to all of a sudden um, having to go and drum up work, which was not something um, that he'd had to do before. So um, that first five years was just a lot of lessons, really, when you're employing your first staff, when you're buying your first vehicles, mm-hmm. um, investing money or dealing with the highs and lows. And we started our business the year before the GFC. I remember sitting at work when Lehman Brothers fell over and, you know, collectively everyone was thinking, oh, my goodness. And, you know, that was that was tough going through a recession in our first, second year of business. And no one would believe you these days when you say that you had to um, make a plumber redundant because you didn't have enough work. I mean, that's just laughable at the moment, but that's kind of what it was like back then. And so those first five years were, were big learning. You know, I remember buying a, a van for 30 grand and thinking, gee, this is great. And then having to pay my GST the following week, you know, clueless. <laughs> so some great lessons, you know, and um, 
yeah, so it just feels like so long ago now, but those first five years were, were tough, you know, starting family at the same time, uh, all those sorts of things, yeah. So with the Jeremy going to the merchant, sitting in the, like, essentially showroom, there was that whole business development that needed to come alongside. Did you have that hat on before starting or was that just kind of a new skill that you had to learn as a business owner? It was pretty much a new skill and for that first 12 months I was still working full time and doing, you know, the invoicing at night while we sat up, you know, sat at the end of the bed with a laptop um, and it was really all up to Jeremy. I just couldn't do anything else during the day for him so that was up to him to wheel and deal and get on the phone and, you know, he's quite a shy bloke I would have to say um, back then compared to now. So, you know, the personal learning experience for him um, was was massive. Yeah. So with the kind of taking a step forward where you got to the point that you did need to hire your first plumber or your first person, what were the kind of learnings of, okay, we need someone now because Jeremy can't keep up or what was the kind of foundation being laid there? Uh, just, yeah, that he couldn't um, keep up, uh, needed people to help him lift things, uh, you know, carrying a cylinder around Wellington is, is hard work because there's a lot yep. of steps. And um, they needed some help, and so our first employee was an apprentice. That's mm-hmm. something that um, I wouldn't do again starting another business. The second person needs to be a tradesman, in my opinion. Um, so that was that was the first person that came along, and quickly after that, uh, tradesman after tradesman, and, and until we you know grew to the size that we are now. So um, yeah. So with that. You wouldn't hire an apprentice as your first employee. What was the massive learning? Was it just because their skill set wasn't where it needed to be to support Jeremy or you couldn't rely on them because they didn't have that full work experience? There's too much time when they are not um, useful. Um, You know, if Jeremy needed to go and do quotes or he needed to do a bit of paperwork during the day um, and there's just the two of them and it's working out of our house, there wasn't there was quite a lot of downtime for an apprentice, whereas, if, um, you know, having the opportunity to do it again like we have, um, you need the tradesman out there to go and get the work done and then an apprentice after that. That's, that's our take anyway after we've got an opportunity to do it again. So that's what we're doing differently this time is, is um, stumping up, you know, more money, but uh, getting someone qualified who can just go out and do that work for you. What the you mentioned the first five days were kind of the the learning it hit you square in the face of what you guys were doing. Was there any other kind of lessons learnt in that first say year or five years that have stuck out so that you can learn from when you are looking to grow? You have to hustle. That's that's <laughs> the main thing. You've got to hustle and you've got to call on all your networks. Um, be true to what it is that you are doing. Um, not be afraid to put yourself out there and, yeah, hustle and don't let anything go. And, you know, when you're starting out, you do, uh, you have a few vultures circling that will come and prey on you for uh, promise great big loads of work or, um, you know, Jeremy was offered um, housing contracts right at the start to work for Builder, um, turned them down. We decided early on what sort of work we were doing and I think it's fortunate that, we did that because it's scary when you leave a solid pay packet and go to nothing and then your income's all over the show and it's just whatever's left 
and you have to make sure that you can actually have that money and that you know you shouldn't be paying it to the IRD instead of buying a van yeah. um, and managing your money a whole lot differently and uh, that is that is a step that um, you know some people would struggle with that um, others yep no problem that's fine it's all about how much you've got behind you um, and your and your belief really and and yourself and what you can do. Right. Would you say as well, you mentioned earlier on coming up with the name and what you stood for as part of that learning period before you start a business or as you're actually starting the business? Uh, for us, in terms of the name and the branding that we use, uh, we just rebranded a couple of years ago, but we always set out to um, set the business up to be all over New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Whether we got to that or not was... You know, it was a pipe dream back then, excuse the pun, but we named it and branded it in a way that didn't personify us as people, that didn't limit us to the location where we were working, and it was a brand that also wasn't limited to the type of work we were doing because, let's face it, you know, if we figured out how to how to run a service-type business, it actually didn't need to be limited to plumbing, um, right. which we already know that now, and so... Yeah, the name, we didn't want to limit ourselves by what we called it. And originally it was straight flush plumbing and legally this business still is, but we've dropped the plumbing from our brand so mm-hmm. that straight flush is what people see and not necessarily plumbing. Part of things, definitely. So that's definitely a key takeaway is to make sure that you set yourself up maybe for where you want your business to get to, even though you're focusing on plumbing at the moment, but long-term plan to be able to adapt to different types of offerings is key. Would you say? Yeah. 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 Um, you mentioned as well that, you know, during your first two years of business, that through those trying times, you know, recession was coming, knocking you to make that plumber redundant. How has that kind of learning helped shape the business where it is today? Well, we're all dealing with it right now. A uh, different set of um, circumstances at the moment or for the last two years and um, depends what part of the industry you operate in uh, in terms of plumbing. You know, the, the commercial operators will be having a slightly different experience to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're very aware of it. And what we're finding is that we didn't think we knew that much, but then we look at the under 25 gang and they have no idea what a recession is, what it means for them. Um, yeah, and, and I guess for us, it's we have to make some decisions that are, you know, that can be unpopular at times, but it's not until a little bit further down the track that people have that understanding of why we did that. And certainly I think in our crew, we, we have that trust from them that whatever we're doing, we're obviously doing it for a reason. But um, I think, you know, recessions certainly sort the weed from the chaff and um, it's something that you have to go through in order to, be able to tackle it next time with a few clues because that first one is tough, yeah. So with the under-25 gang that you just mentioned, if you could give them one piece of advice, what would you say to look out for, to set your business up for? Charge the right amount. Um, we've had uh, we've had two or three over the years go out on their own and um, that was one thing that we did when we started was we charged the same amount of the company that we had just left and it didn't matter that our overheads were lower it was about valuing what we did um because if you pitch it too low it's a race to the bottom for a start you get tons and tons of work 
um, but you'll wonder where the money is at the end of it and how hard you've worked and realise that you may actually walk away with less than what you had when you were on um, wages and not to think that just because you're being, as an employee, that not just because you're being charged out at three times what you're being paid, that doesn't mean that the, you know, the boss is taking home, creaming it with the other two thirds, you know. There's some really classic um, uh, equations in there that they need to understand before they go out and do it. And I think charging is the number one um, because mm-hmm. if you pitch too low, it's too hard to get back to where it should be. Yeah, definitely. And it would set you up as well for like what's up with this company in the market. They used to, I used to get them to be able to do this job for this price and now they've put their prices up astronomically what's going on, which is Absolutely. not what you want, right? That's where yep. the company revenue comes from is that repetition of customers, right? Correct. And when we've looked at acquiring companies in the past, um, too often I've looked at the box and asked what the charge out rate is and it's too far away from where ours is and we would immediately alienate that client base by putting it where it should be. And so uh, those businesses weren't attractive to um, buy, let alone use. So there's a massive lesson in there. Right. Don't understand yourself. Yeah, 100% know your worth, right? Yeah. Now, with the, you mentioned as well, during the startup of the business, you know, you're working on, on the bed at the end of, end of the day, doing quotes, invoices, looking at that sort of things. How was the balance of, you know, starting your family life and working with a new startup business as well? It's kind of like two babies in one. Oh, yes. Um, straight <laughs> the first baby. Um we had our first child at the end of 2008, so yeah, only only 18 months later, um, wow. married at that time, took the phone on our honeymoon. Um, no. But need I say more that uh, you don't stop, especially when it's you on your own. There is nobody else. There's nobody else to do the call-outs, and if you want the work, go and do the call-outs. And, um, you know, that startup is you've got to make sure that you don't get hurt. Um, answer every single phone call you just can't not be available and that's very tiring because until you hire that first person to take that load um, and, and you have someone you know like me to help because you basically you're working an eight-hour day and then you're going home and you're probably doing another eight-hour day in the evenings when you're shattered and so that made for lots of interesting conversations in the evening after a long day you know and um it just it's the only way you can do it yeah I guess as well with that because you are throwing yourself into the business and you need to make sure that passion's still there right for what you're doing how did Jeremy cope with that because obviously he's on the tools doing the work and then he's coming home and looking at the paper and looking at you know everything how is he managing that kind of passion side of things with what he wants to do. I don't, think, I don't think any plumber goes into business um, with a typical enjoyment of the paperwork side of it. Um, they're in the trade for a reason normally and it's because they like being out there on the job using their hands and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, it was a learning curve particularly for uh, anybody out there who was doing it with their life partner as well. You know, that's a, that's a massive thing and I've talked to plenty of people who do it and it works beautifully and then I've talked to plenty who would never have a bar of that because they'd kill each other and you know both are quite reasonable outcomes um, and I think that's something you have to figure out when you're starting a business too is who is going to be your support person um, 
you know, are they working? We, we have one of our um, people at the moment who started a branch. Uh, partner has a full-time job. They have two wee kids. And, yeah, he's, he's yeah, working all day and he does a little bit at night, but sort of we're picking up a lot of the admin for him. But that admin can't be... Um, it can't be underestimated of how important it is and that you can't just remember things and write it all down later because you forget things. And, um, you know, I'd get messages brought home on bits of four by two um, from, you know, having to answer the phone while Jeremy was lying under the house and that was a quote to put in. Um, so lots of that sort of stuff. And you just work with what you've got and, you know, adding young children into the mix is extra tough and you know a lot of people do it because it's about the stage of life that you're at when you start a business but um to be honest I probably can't remember because I didn't get that much sleep back then but um you, you do what you have to do to survive and look after your family and I think children are a big life event that make you realize what you're doing and how important it is and how you have to look after yourself insurance becomes really important that you know a lot of people probably just don't even have at the outset and um, all those sorts of things that start to add up to why you charge yourself out at the rate that you do. Mm, 100%. So with the finding your support person with starting up a business, I guess, how did you separate personal relationship versus work relationship? Uh, it's pretty impossible, really, at, at the start. I mean, I... I had a director's meeting with Jeremy for three hours last night that finished at about 11.30 on the phone because um, he's, he's in a, a way at the moment. So um, you'd either have to come up with some really good house rules in your relationship to start with or, or the two meld into one. And I think certainly as our business has grown, we've had some really fantastic moments. You know, we won Master Plumber of the Year in 2014. And then we've had moments when we just wanted to chuck the towel in. We've had some pretty epic arguments over the years, um, but equally some really massive celebrations. So it's um, a complete mixed bag, and that's what being in businesses and being an entrepreneur, you know, there's there's a whole lot of excitement there, but you have to put up with all of the boring stuff that you don't really like and, um, you know, unsavoury stuff. Um in, in order to get the best outcome for the business because it's about the business. It's that's more than it is about you. Yeah, so now touching on the business, let's talk straight flush plumbing. What are the growth plans? What are you guys aiming towards? Um, so we're looking at, we're already multi-site now, so we have three sites um, that that have come up in just in the last two years. We've added those two sites and we're, we're currently going down the path of, preparing the business to franchise. So we already have um, we have a parent company that's uh, where all of our expertise is, so our health and safety, uh, uh, finance, um, technical, that sort of thing. And then within the branches, we have um, the teams, the tradesmen out there doing the work, and they have a team lead as well. So um, that structure is already kind of in place. All those sites are company owned at the moment, but the idea is to take our brand out there because we think we've got something different. We think there's room in the market for um, another one, and our model is pretty pretty straightforward. It's designed for, and if we go right back to the start of our conversation, it's designed for people to be able to achieve something more than just becoming qualified and there being nothing else. Um, yeah. So we've walked the talk on that one, and 
Um, our guy up in New Plymouth, he was with us for six years, uh, worked up from being out there on the tools to running um, half of our team in here. And then going and starting his own branch, and we, we said, without a doubt, we'll absolutely support you. We know you really well. And he said, well, I don't really want to work for anyone else, but, you know, I'm, I'm moving, so how about it? And, and that's how that one came about. So that's a really great success story for him and for us to show that um, just because you're not the, the owner of this business doesn't mean that there are ways and means of succeeding within it, and we want to provide that um, base for them where they do what they're really good at, which is being on the tools, um, managing staff, talking the language, um, and pricing work, and we do all the rest of it out of here. So we do the accounting, the health and safety. We've got all of that support for them. So, so far, um, it's working well, and we can sort of um, trial that with company-owned sites before we um, refine that model. Mm, definitely. And with the kind of what you've built is this awesome model, are there any other kind of building blocks that are in that kind of process, like being part of associations or trusted advisors or anything of that nature? Oh, absolutely. So at the start, um, you know, we didn't do it necessarily this way, but now we've had two two, two further opportunities to start businesses again. And we've had the same legal team for the entire time. We've had the same lawyers for 20 years, actually, since before we started the business. Um, the same accounting partners for at least 10 years, if not longer. Um, so that group of people is really, really critical. And um, your bank as well, uh, people that you really need to be able to get on with. Um, you know, be quite open and honest with them. Um, you know, often people would say that bankers hand you an umbrella in the sunshine, and, and to some extent that's true. But um, I guess I've had the benefit of having a bit of knowledge before going into business that um, oh, I think we've lost you, Nairi. Holding on to them and making sure that they grow with you. Is, is really important as well. Definitely. Yeah. So with the, the lawyers in the bank and your accountants, do you meet with them fairly often and discuss kind of like in six-month increments or do you just kind of ad hoc it or is it like really set in stone? Um, it's been more and more lately. We're very close with our um, accountants in particular. In fact, our finance manager here is a, is a chartered accountant that's uh, from that firm. So the connection there is really, really strong. And it's made a massive difference to us. Um, the legal team has been uh, as and when required, um, but going forward with the work that we're doing, it will be um, much more a much more solid relationship. And also, though my lawyer and accountant know each other very well from around the tracks, you know, for decades as well. So um, we have a fantastic team there, and they've watched us grow right from the get go, and that's been really fantastic because. You know, I sent a text to my accountant about nine o'clock the other night and got an answer. So that's, you know, you can't ask for much more than that in a relationship. 100%. It's like being married to them. <laughs> <laughs> What's the kind of future state? I guess it's hard to pinpoint, but what do you kind of foresee happening with like that plumbing industry at the moment in New Zealand? Oh, goodness, look, it's hard to say. Um, our, our business is in the maintenance space, so we're taps, toilets, systems, hot water cylinders sort of thing, um, just about, you know, mostly domestic. Um, we have not been terribly affected by what's going on, but it's really uh, 
keeping across the regulations, um, any law changes, anything that you know governments are planning on doing, we're all interested in that because um, there's a reasonable amount of uh, change being tabled. So it's really, uh, Master Farmers has been fantastic. We've been part of that um, fold for, for many, many years and, you know, we get a good flow of information through there. But, look, I think um, plumbing as a, as a vocation, um, we're not going to be replaced by robots anytime soon. Uh, we're a bit too complex for that. We're always going to be needed um, because of what we all as humans do every morning. Um, so I think, you know, we're relatively safe. I wouldn't say it's recession-proof. I just think, you know, if you've got a few scruples, um, you, you can navigate, certainly in the maintenance space, um, mm -hmm. through the tough times as well as um, what riding the wave during the good times, you know. Definitely. Now, flipping over, let's talk about what it's like to be a female in a heavily male-dominated industry. How have you found it? Um, increasingly better, to be honest. Um, I was just like every other plumber's partner back in the day. Um, but because I think because I left my career, I was, I was made redundant through the ANZ national merger, um, I decided to use that opportunity to throw myself at this business. And so it's been part of me uh, generating my own career as well. Um, rather than doing my own thing and sort of helping out here. So I've had quite a lot to do with growing this business. And over the years, um, it's got a lot better. So if I look in my office now, there's as many men in there as there are women. And, um, you know, we all have a, have a blast. We have uh, one lady tradie, and I'm looking for that to be more, but it's really about putting... <coughs> putting ourselves out there that we're absolutely open to that. Um, the guys are really good, and I think if you talk to um, some of the other prominent women in our industry, they would agree that um, there is just such a huge need for trade staff at the moment that um, that makes no difference whatsoever. And I think probably the only issue that you might have is just a bit of strength in lifting, lifting heavy things, which might be probably the only drawback. But other than that, I pack a punch as well as everybody else. So what yeah. would you say to maybe a female who's thinking about dabbling more in that tradie space as opposed to working in admin? Um, just come and knock on someone's door, wink, wink. Um, <laughs> that's, that's the way to do it. The number of people that we've hired just from um, using their initiative and just directly approaching us um, has been you know, pretty much a winner because it shows uh, people's intent. And interestingly, we're, we're part of the Gateway Program. And interestingly, over the years, we had, um, just to talk to this point, we had a young man come in who <clears throat> didn't want to be there. He wanted to be a kindergarten teacher. But oh. mum and dad were like, no, you're going to go and get a trade, son. And you could tell. He just he didn't want to be there. And then... Um, Conversely, we had a young lady come in and she was desperate to get into the trade and her parents said, no, you're going to go and do something, you know, in, in another industry, uh, but not this one. And it was just such a crying shame that we couldn't uh, we couldn't change those outcomes. But really interesting, isn't it, how um, these young kids know what they want to do and want to give it a crack, but um, society sees something different. So 
I hope I never see that again because it's, um, you know, it's not right. There's, there shouldn't be those barriers. Yeah, you should follow your passion or your calling and it doesn't matter what stereotype you fall into of being a female in a trade industry. It doesn't matter. Um, exactly. What does it kind of mean to you to be a successful woman in the trades industry? You kind of don't <clears throat> wake up every morning thinking that. You, you, <laughs> I think most of us, uh, it's the Kiwi way. We, we have a tall poppy issue. And all you think is about what more you can do or how much harder you can work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about all of our staff all the time, and my job is to make sure that they are um, happy, they know what they need to do, they know when they're succeeding, all of that sort of thing. You kind of forget about um, yourself sometimes. So I'm probably just making that realisation now that um, as my kids are older, uh, just just to give some time back to myself and look after myself as well because if um, I'm not here, then, you know, I worry about what what might happen. So, um, you know, my, my job is to, to do that and to make sure that the company is actually bigger than Jeremy and I. It's, okay. it's not us. It's, it's its own thing. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nari, for that. It's been very insightful and very passionate, which I love. Um, at the end of this, everyone that's watching, we will be popping up a survey. So if you could just click yes, no, maybe whatever you need to do on that survey. Um, and from here, Nairi, again, thank you so much for joining us on our first coffee webinar series. Um, and hopefully there's been some key insights. So thank you all for attending. Thanks, Nairi. Thank you very much. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Trades, Tools, and Talks. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's get to work. We'll talk to you later.